Dave's right, we're starting a series called Making Room, and something that God spoke to me in uh, January were two things for us as a church. The first one was to pursue God, and, and we've kind of talked about what it looks like to pursue Him, and, um, and that's really important because uh, when we pursue Him, we find Him, yes? Yep, and, um, and that's really important because if you want to know somebody, you've got to pursue them. Um, hence why I pursued Trinity and, and you know, she just fell at my feet and the whole dating process and all that sort of stuff. And so we pursue him. But once we find him, I think the important thing is, is that we make room for him. And most relationships, be it parental relationships, friendships, be it um, spouses or whatever, the, the relationship actually doesn't develop if we don't make room for that person so that we can come together more. And the same is with Christ. It's like it's one thing to pursue him, but it's another thing to make room for him so that our relationship with him can be built. And so over today and the next two weeks after that, we're just going to look at three aspects that I feel that God has said to um, me that we need to individually, corporately, as a church, make space for God in. Now, by no means are these three the only areas. They're just three areas that I feel like God's speaking to me. And when I say that God's speaking to me, I'm not talking about he's going, hey, Craig, what's up? It's not really, because we come to this whole thing and people are, oh, God said. And most of us like have a disconnect from that because we think that God said means that he speaks audibly. He can do that, but I've never heard his audible voice. I kind of want to, but then I kind of don't want to, because I think it could be quite scary. But when I say that God speaks to me, it's thoughts, it's impressions, it's a sense that God puts. And the more you walk with God, the easier it is to tune into what he's saying and what he's not saying. And so this morning, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about making room for his voice, because there's not a person in this room that doesn't want God to speak to them. I don't know about you, but I want God to speak to me. I want God to tell me, take that job, or don't take that job, or buy that house, or don't buy that house. There's some people in this room that want God to say, that's the woman for you. Not looking at anybody at all that may be single or anything in the place. He's so serious today, man. Um, you know, I want God to, to speak to me about how to raise my children. I want God to speak to me about all sorts of things. And so there's not a person in the room that doesn't want God to speak to them. We all want that. Can I get a yes to that? All right, cool. And here's the thing. The scripture teaches us that God is speaking. In fact, that God is constantly speaking. In fact, the, the Bible teaches us that all of creation speaks of him and his glory. So God is always speaking all the time. So if God is always speaking all the time, maybe the problem isn't that God isn't speaking. Maybe the problem is that we're just not listening. I don't know about you, but we all have these particular habits, don't we? Trinity's habit when school has finished and she's on holiday is she reads books. And when I say she reads books, I think she probably consumes a book a day. She's a, she's a reading nut. The problem is when Trinity reads books, everything else is irrelevant. Dinner time starts at like 10 p.m. at night. Like everything just goes out the window. The poor kids walk into the lounge and Seth will be like, mum, mum. Mum, 
Now, you know, it's just like, she's just like completely and totally locked off to any communication other than the book she's reading. And so what I want to talk to us about today is maybe there are some things that we have maybe in our heart that stops us from hearing. It's not that he's not speaking, it's that we probably just don't hear him. And the thing is, is that if we can get that part of us right so that we can hear him, the incredible thing about God's words is that we see in the book of Genesis that right at the beginning, he said, let there be light, and the power of those words still manifest itself today in night and day. And I don't know about you, but I want God to speak into my world so that the power of those words continue to manifest itself in my life until I go and see him. How many other people feel that way? And so I want to look at a a parable this morning and, and break it down and show you three reasons why we don't hear God, what we need to do to hear God, and then hopefully look at four ways that God speaks to us so that as we go through this period of prayer and fasting, that we can connect with him in a way that maybe we've never connected before. Is that cool? So in Luke chapter 8, verse 5 to 8, it says this. It says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell on the weeds, which grew up, with it and choked the plants, and still other seed fell on good soil, it came up and it yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. And when he had said this, he called out and says, he who has an ears, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. In other words, he's saying, this is the word of the Lord, you need to hear this. Now you might be thinking, well, I thought you were talking about God speaking to us, but what you've shared is a parable about seed. Well, the thing is, is this, is that in Luke 8, 11, Jesus explains that when he's talking about seed in this parable, he's actually talking about the Word of God because he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the Word of God. In other words, this parable is about what happens when God speaks to us. And there are three things that causes the seed not to produce. And there's one thing that causes it to produce a hundred times more than what it should do. Yeah? How many people want to have the kind of uh, situation where the Word of God multiplies in your life a hundred times more than what it should. I don't know about you, but I want to do that. So what that says to me that is that the problem with his words in this parable is not that he's not speaking, it's just that some of the seed is landing in the wrong place. And sometimes our hearts can have wrong stuff in it so that when the seed lands, it's landing in the wrong place and therefore not producing. And the first thing that I see in this parable where a seed lands that doesn't produce is what I would call the deaf heart. The deaf heart. In Luke 8, 12, it says, those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that may, may not believe and be saved. In other words, he's saying that this seed lands, and it lands in such a hard place that it doesn't even get a chance to even look like it's going to produce. The enemy comes and it takes it away, and it, and it doesn't even have an impact. It's what I would call the deaf heart, and, and, and the way that I, 
describe this to you is there was this famous opera singer. I can't remember his name, but I can remember the name of the doctor that treated him, and his name was Dr. Tamias. And he was working with this opera singer because this opera singer was having trouble hitting the right notes because he was starting to go deaf, and he couldn't understand why he was going deaf. And in the process of this investigation, Dr. Tamatis discovered that when this opera singer was singing, he was producing 140 decibels out of his mouth. Now, for you to understand how loud 140 decibels is, that's louder than a fighter jet taking off on an area carrier. That's how loud it is. And so what they discovered as they looked into it is that the reason why the opera singer was going deaf was because he was singing so loud, he was deafening himself. That the opera singer was the reason why he was going deaf. Can I suggest to you that the reason a lot of the time why we have a deaf heart that doesn't allow the seed of God to settle in it is because our voice of who we think we are and what we think we are and the negative things that we say about ourselves and our insecurities that rise up on the inside of us are so loud that we are deaf to anything that God is saying. We don't hear, I love you. We don't hear that I'm proud of you. We don't hear that you're my child. We don't hear that God believes in us because our voices on the inside of us that think we're useless, that think we're hopeless, that we think we've got nothing to offer are so loud that it deafens us to the very thing that God's trying to plant in our worlds. Sometimes the most deafening voice in our lives is actually our own before it is anybody else's. The second thing that I see here is the first one is a deaf heart. The second one that I see here is the distracted heart. And it says in verse uh, verse 13, it says the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message with joy, but since their roots don't go very deep, they believe for a while, but they wilt, and the hot winds of testing blow. You see, I would call this the distracted heart because it starts to take root, but then something else comes along, the hot winds, and it distracts the plant from doing what it should do. This happens when something else starts competing in our life with what God is saying. You know, those times where sometimes you come to church and you're like, man, you walk out of the church and you're like, man, that's the best message I've ever heard. That was so challenging. That was so awesome. That did something in my life. But you have a fight with the kids on the way home or your wife or your husband or, or next door neighbor's cat's owner's friend or whatever. You have an argument with somebody and by the time you've even got out of the car park, you're so frustrated with the kids trying to get them into the car that you've completely forgotten what it is that God spoke to you because you got distracted by something else. You got distracted by something else. You forget it because something, maybe a circumstance, is now competing with what God is saying. I don't know about you, but I've had plenty of times in my life where I felt like God has said something to me, but then the very next day my world seems to go in the complete opposite direction of what God is saying. Yes? Like when I went and played golf for the first time in five years because I want to get fit and healthy and lose some weight and be healthy. And so I played, and that afternoon I nearly broke my ankle after playing golf, not playing golf, but afterwards. Although I should say maybe it was playing golf because I hit the driver so hard with so much power that I nearly broke my foot. That sounds better than saying I stepped off a ramp and nearly broke my foot. But now, rather than me getting fit and healthy, I've now spent two long weekends at home like this. 
and you kind of think to yourself, hold on, God, I'm sure you told me that I needed to do this, but my life has taken this direction. Something starts competing with the word that God has given you, and you get distracted from what he's saying. And it's like you've never even heard what he said because the circumstances or the situations or the distractions are so loud, you can't even hear what God was saying. And here's the crazy thing about distractions is that distractions aren't necessarily just bad things. They can be good things too. And we'll look at that in a minute. But if I'm honest with you, the biggest distraction I had to deal with in my life so that I could hear from God, and I need to confess this to you because they say that confession is good for the soul, but it's bad for your reputation. But here's the thing. My biggest distraction when I would try and hear from God was my phone. It was my biggest distraction. It's like I would sit down to read my Bible, have time with God, and then ding, ding, or whoop, as an email comes in. And you know, you know, I just, I don't know about you, but I went through this season in my life where if it dung or it went whoop, then I had to look at it immediately. Yes? Does anybody else have my disease? You know, you're like two minutes from home and you can wait to get in the driveway where you stop and you're safe, but you've got to look at that ding ding straight away, man. And so you drive illegally, checking your text, just confessing before you this morning. My phone was my weakness. We all have weaknesses of things that distract us. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth, one of the greatest evangelists and, and healing ministries that the world has ever seen, uh, they used to say about his wife that uh, they had so many kids and distractions that what she would do is that she would get her like her apron when she was in the kitchen and the kids knew that if the apron was up over mum's face, they were to leave her alone. She had a way of dealing with her distractions by going <laughs> and pretending like they weren't there. We have to do something that gets rid of the distractions because the distractions are always there. And can I say to you that I think that all of hell is trying to stop us from hearing from God. So all of hell is doing everything it can, whether it be good, bad, or ugly, to distract you, to create something that competes with your attention to distract you from what God is saying. In fact, I would suggest to you in Luke 10, 39 to 40, we have a classic case of a good thing being distracting. It says, she had a sister called Mary. This is about Mary and Martha. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha, listen to this, but Martha was overly occupied and was distracted with much serving. Here's the crazy thing about following Jesus and being part of a church and all that sort of stuff, which is so, so important and so, so what we should do. But here's the crazy thing. Sometimes we can get so busy serving Jesus that we fail to seek Jesus. We can get so busy doing stuff for God that we forget to seek God. And we get so caught up in what we're doing instead of being. And I want to encourage you this morning, in order to hear from God's voice, you need to turn down the volume of everything else around you so that the volume of his voice is louder than the volume of your distractions. Don't let a deaf heart stop you. Don't let a distracted heart stop you. And don't let a, a mature heart stop you. In Luke 8, 14, it says, the seed that fell amongst the weeds 
stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. Have we got any um, gardeners, king gardeners here? No? Oh, one or two? Yes, I knew Laurel would be king. We, we, we kind of, your whole job's gardening, Chris, as a horticulturalist. We, we, we've, got, we've got tomatoes going, haven't we, darling, in, in, in our herb garden? And um, I'm not sure whether we've helped it or heard it, but it seems to produce in spite of our misgivings. Um, but I don't know anybody that's ever planted weeds in your garden. Has anyone ever planted a weed in your garden? It's not really something you do. Man, I went out to the garden yesterday and I planted all these weeds. The garden looks fantastic, covered in weeds. I don't know about you, but you don't plant weeds. Weeds just appear. Yes? It doesn't matter what you do. Even if you put down the weed mat and everything else, somehow they find a way to get to the surface. Weeds don't need to be planted. They grow all by themselves. And this thing here says it fell among the weeds. It fell among the things that necessarily aren't necessarily something that you did. It's just weeds just tend to happen in life, yes? And if you drove past somebody's house that was completely covered in weeds and they're about this high all over the place, your first thought as you drive past that house is they have neglected their garden. They have neglected it, and that's why they have weeds, they, because of neglect. And the garden has been neglected, and they have grown up, and they've taken over the garden because they have neglected it. Can I suggest to you that some of us at times have been where God would probably say to us, hey, yet you are saved, and you are going to heaven, but you've actually neglected your heart and because of that, your heart hasn't matured. And I sense that God's trying to say to some of us that it's time for us to go deeper with him. It's time for our relationship to be different than what it was. Let me kind of explain this in an illustration to you to show you what I'm saying. Trinity and I have been married, we'll be 27 years in May. It's pretty cool. We're going to go to Queenstown to celebrate. Whoop, whoop. Thanks for... Or your encouragement on that. You don't know how hard it's been for her. Um, but every day, even when the kids were little, we, we had this thing where when I get home from work and she gets home from work, and the kids knew even at a young age that the first thing that would happen is mum and dad would get themselves a cup of tea, a cup of coffee, and we would sit down and we would talk about our day. And the kids knew that they're not to come and annoy us when we're talking about our day. It's so important, married couple, that you connect with each other first before you connect with your kids. Because the most important relationship in your home is not you and your children, it's you and your spouse. So we would have these conversations, and we have mature conversations. I would like to think they were sophisticated conversations because we're adults, and adults have adult conversation. We would talk about our finances, we'd talk about our schedules, we'd talk about the kids, we'd talk about what happened in the day. We may even have a discussion about something in our relationship where we weren't happy with. It's a mature, it's an adult conversation, yeah? That's what mature adults do. They have mature conversations. However, when I come into the office here at the church, and Judah Cooper, who's, well, she be, I don't know, 18 months old, when she's in the office, the conversation from me to her kind of changes a little bit. It's kind of like, hello, Judah. Hello. Yeah, that's what we do with babies, isn't it? Come on. 
Yes? We don't, I don't go to Judah, hey Judah, um, I need to have a conversation with you. Uh, did an Excel spreadsheet, Chris would like that. Excel spreadsheet, I'd like you to review the Excel spreadsheet, email me back with any changes that you'd like to take place in your budget. It's not really a conversation I have with Judah. I don't go to Judah and say, hey Judah, um, I've noticed according to your parents that you've been having a little bit of an issue sleeping between 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. Uh, I think it's time that we sit down and we had a conversation about it and find out why that is the case and how do you feel in that moment and what can we do about it to change your behavior in the future so that you don't cause your parents to want to kill you. We don't have that conversation with Judah. It's just like, hello, beautiful. I'm trying to get her to laugh and smile and think that I'm the most amazing person on the face of the planet. I really hope nobody took a photo while I was doing that. Now, here's the thing. My conversation skills are a lot more than, yeah? I can actually have an intelligent conversation. The problem is I can't have an intelligent conversation with Judah because Judah's too immature to understand what I'm saying. Judah is too immature to understand what I am saying, and so therefore she doesn't have the ability to receive what I'm saying. It's not so much even what I'm saying, it's her ability to receive what I have said because she's immature. Now, I guarantee you that as she grows up, we will have better conversations and the conversation between her and I will improve until she gets to about 13 years of age and then she's too cool to talk to me. But it will improve as we go. So here's my point. Here's my point. My point is this. If you were dissatisfied with the level of communication between you and God, maybe the problem is we need to grow up and mature in our hearts so that he can speak to us. Maybe the level of conversation that you're getting from God is because of the immaturity of your heart. It's gone kind of quiet a little bit. Maybe it's on us to look at our spiritual lives and say, you know what, it's time for me to go deeper. It's time for me to change some things. And you might be like, Craig, I don't want to get up at five o'clock in the morning to seek him. Nobody wants to get up at five o'clock in the morning to seek him. In fact, I remember saying once to a friend of mine, why is it that God wakes me up? Because this happens to me sometimes, wakes me up at two or three o'clock in the morning. What, what, does he not understand between the hours of 8 a.m. and 5 p.m.? I'm fully functionable. You can speak to me in those times. Why does he wake me up at two o'clock in the morning? His response was this, just to see who's God. <laughs> Which is an interesting thought. But nobody likes getting up at five o'clock in the morning. In fact, there's not a parent here in this place that goes, man, one of the things I really miss, have grown up children, one of the things I really miss is changing their pooey bums. I really miss getting those wipes out and wiping their, their poo-ridden backside, you know, and getting a little bit on my hand and all that sort of stuff. I, I really miss that. I really miss you know, when you're changing their nappy and they start to pee, especially if they're a boy, and it goes all over the place and sometimes even goes in your mouth. I really miss that part of being a parent. I really miss having to clean up after them all the time. I really miss all this stuff. You know what I miss the most when it's just me and my wife and nobody? I'm, I miss having to do three or four loads of washing on a Saturday and folding it all. I really miss it. I really miss um, cleaning up after. I really, nobody likes any of that. There's not a parent that goes, woohoo, I get to vacuum today. Yeah! 
But if we don't vacuum, if we don't do the dishes when they're little, if we don't do the washing, if we don't clean them up when they're babies, then what happens? They get sick, stuff goes to custard. Our life is horrible. If you walked into somebody's house and they hadn't done the dishes for a month and all their dishes were piled up all over the bench, you would not think well of them. Why? Nobody likes doing those things, but if you don't do them, it's because you're immature, because mature people realize that things have to be done. Mature people understand that I may not like getting up at at 5 a.m. in the morning to pray and stuff before the kids get up, but mature people understand that it's a discipline, and mature people are disciplined. Mature people are disciplined. And I'm going to say something now which may upset some of you, but I have seen over the years, we start our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and for the first five or six days, people are on board, they're doing it, and then all of a sudden, this meat, I miss meat, I need meat, meat, I'm not going to live, I'm not going to survive, I'm going to die, if I don't have meat today, I will die. You're eating fruit and vegetables and grains and nuts and having all that stuff to your heart's content, but for some reason you think if you keep going without meat for another few days, that all of hell is going to break loose and your life is going to be destroyed. And so everyone starts dropping like flies after five or six days. I can't do it. I can't fast. I can't do this. I can't do that. You know, here's the thing. And I say this with all the love that I have in my heart. It's a maturity thing. It's not that you can't. It's that you won't. And that is a maturity thing. Because even science will tell you, you won't die. It's just you don't want to. But you want God to speak to you in a sophisticated, mature way, but you're not prepared to do some of the things that are required to get the mature, sophisticated conversation. See, God wants to have a conversation with you that's sophisticated. Sometimes we're just going to grow up a bit and maybe... What you need to say to yourself is, in this season, I'm going to focus on Jesus in this season. I'm going to be in church every Sunday. I'm going to get myself into a connect group. I'm going to start serving in a team. Why? Why do we have all those things? Because they are the vehicles that God gives us so that we can mature. Nothing matures you more than being around people that annoy the heck out of you. Hebrews 12, 1 to 2 says this, and I want you to hear this because it's not saying anything about what God needs to do, but everything about what we need to do. Since we are surrounded by so many examples of faith, we must get rid of everything that slows us down, especially sin that distracts us. We must run the race that lies ahead of us and never give up. We must focus on Jesus. See, the maturing season of your life is not only your responsibility, but it's actually done with people in our lives. You don't mature on your own, you mature with people. Iron sharpens iron, a brother is born for adversity. Maturity requires others around us to help us to grow. We can't mature alone. You need people to talk to. You need people to be honest with. You need people where the walls can come down. You need the right people to do that with, but we need people because we confess to God for the forgiveness of our sins, but the Bible says we confess to one another so that they may pray for us and that we may be healed. Healing comes through relationship with one another. Forgiveness comes from confession to Christ. We don't mature alone. We mature 
around people and we need them. And the reason why we need them is because when we start to do that, all of a sudden our conversation with God will change because we've matured. And so God can increase his sophistication of his conversation. You see, maturity comes when we stop making excuses and we start making changes. Maturity comes when we stop making excuses and we start making changes. You see, successful people do what unsuccessful people won't. And that's what it comes down to. When we stop making excuses and we start making changes, maturity comes. And the last heart is the prepared heart. This is the one that's a hundredfold. This is the one when the Word of God comes like a seed. It produces above and beyond. And in Luke 8, 15, it says, but the seed on good soil stands for those who are noble and good heart, who hear the Word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. You see, here's what the Scripture is saying to us. A prepared heart produces. A prepared heart hears the Word of God and produces the Word of God. A prepared heart causes the Word of God to increase. And so what can we do to prepare our hearts? Just three simple things that you can do to prepare your heart. First thing is repent. We, we, we get so caught up in repenting because we think it's a bad thing. Repenting is a good thing. Repenting means I'm going to change direction of my life. Repenting means basically this, that I'm walking this way, but I'm going to do a 180 degree turn and walk this way. Repenting just means that I'm going to give all the stuff that I don't want to carry anymore to Jesus so he can carry it and I can start afresh. Repenting is not a bad thing. Repenting is a good thing. It's, it's, it's for the sake that he can forgive us and that we can get on with our lives. It's, it's not a punishment. It's taking away a punishment. Are you with me? The second thing that I think we've got to do is we've got to refocus. We've got to repent and then refocus and just turn around and just say, you know what? I, I may need to get out of bed earlier or I may need to go to bed earlier and I need to start reading my Bible. I need to start doing some of these spiritual disciplines that I need to do. And here's the thing that you need to do the most is don't feel guilty that you haven't been doing it. Because God doesn't care what you haven't been doing. God wants to know what you are going to do. I can't change what I did last week. It can't be changed. But I can to change what I do tomorrow. And I, don't think, I think you think that God is so concerned about your past. I don't think God is concerned about your past anywhere near as much as he's concerned about your future. Why? Because God wants to bring revival to your life, which is the third thing. He wants to revive you. Repent, refocus, and let God revive you. Pray prayers that God would bring revival to your life. Because all of that prepares your heart, not only for the Word of God, but prepares you to fall in love with Him all over again. In 2 Corinthians 7.1 in the message, it says this, let's make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without. Let's make our entire lives fit in holy temples for the worship of God. I love that. Let's make a clean break. You know, forget about what, what has been. Don't, don't get caught up in what you think you should have done that you didn't done. Forget it. Clean break. Let, let's make today or let's make tomorrow a new start in our lives. Let's not be caught up in what we haven't done or what we should have done. Let's just focus on what we can do now. Are you with me? 
Let's just go, you know what, I can't help it that I've had a deaf heart, a distracted heart, and an immature heart, but what I can do today, I can make a decision that I'm not going to be deaf any longer, distracted any longer, I'm not going to be mature, immature any longer. I'm going to make a decision today, I'm going to change. Forget what has been and step into what is. And when you step into what is, God will start to speak to you, but the thing is, is that God speaks in whispers, the Bible says, and the reason why he speaks in whispers is not because he's trying to it's not because it's hide and go seek and he's trying to keep from you what it is that he wants to say to you. The reason why God whispers to you is because for you to hear a whisper, it means that you have to be in proximity to hear it. The reason why God whispers is not because he doesn't want to tell you what he wants to do with your life. He whispers because he wants you close to him because it's in relationship that you hear the whisper. And the thing is, I don't know about you, but I don't want God yelling at me either. Yeah? First thing that he whispers to you is he whispers encouragement. God is constantly whispering encouragement to you. He's not yelling at you to pull your head in and get yourself together. He's constantly whispering encouragement. Romans 8.16 says the Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our heart and tells us that we are God's children. Isaiah 55 verse 3 in the message says, pay attention, come close now, listen carefully to my life-giving, life-nourishing words. God is constantly affirming us, constantly encouraging us, telling us that we're part of his family. All his words are life-giving in nature. So what does it sound like when he's whispering encouragement? It sounds like this, you're my child. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm for you. I'm with you. And here's the crazy thing about his encouragement that you need to understand and I need to understand is that my kids will always be my kids. I will always be their dad. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter that Seth mocked me the other day when I was wrestling with him and he did some move where my head hit the windowsill. And he thought that was the funniest thing ever. Total disrespect towards his father. But it doesn't change that he's my son. It wouldn't matter if he walked out of our house and went and lived a life of crime. He's still... My son, there's nothing he can do, even if he emancipates himself from me, there's nothing he can do that changes the fact that he is my son and I am his dad and I will chase him and I will chase Madison to the end of this earth, to the end of this world, wherever it may take me to make sure and to stop them from making bad choices in their life. And if me as a dad would do that, how much more would God do that for you, that he would chase you his child? He has a better plan for your life than I will ever have. He has great things for you. And here's the thing, he knows what you did last night. He knows what you did last week. And he knows what you did last year. And he has still never kicked you out of his family. God doesn't kick you out, you leave. I would never kick, well, that's, that's a big call right there. But he never kicks us out. He's always there for us. He may not be happy with what you're doing, but he loves you just the same. He's proud of you. And the reason why God doesn't kick us out and the reason why God loves us better than we love ourselves or we love our children is because of his perspective. God's perspective is not caught up in what you're doing right now. God's perspective is always caught up in who you are becoming. 
God is always about who you're becoming. He always speaks to who you're becoming. He never really speaks to your past. You notice that the devil always reminds you of your past, but God always speaks to your future. He's always speaking to what you're becoming. He has great excitement in his heart because he knows what you can become. I'm going too long and I need to get through these really quick. The second thing that he whispers is warnings. In Acts 16, verse 6 to 7, it says, We were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go and preach the word in Asia. Here's the thing. They wanted to go and preach the gospel. It was a good thing, but the Holy Spirit said to them, No, 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 you're not going, because if you go there, they're planning to kill you. He will whisper warnings to you. You think it's a good thing, but it's not a good thing. And here's the thing. Some of us need to hear that. We think some things are good things, but they're not good things. And the Holy Spirit is trying to speak to us. God is trying to tell us. And you know what? The thing is, is that we want this kind of whisper in our lives because it saves us from all sorts of pain. So what does the whisper of God sound like when he's trying to save us? He says things like this into your thoughts or into your, you get this impression, don't do it. Don't do it. In the secret, tell somebody about what's going on. Get help for what you're going through. This is how he whispers. The third thing is he whispers direction. But for God to whisper direction, it means that we've got to involve him in the process of making the decision about where we're meant to go. Hey, this is simple. Hey, God, what do you think about this new job? What do you think about this house? What do you, th- what do you think I should do? Isaiah 30, 21 says this, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk you in it. Acts 20, 22 says, and now compelled by the Holy Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. In other words, the Holy Spirit's told him, now this is where I want you to go. Well, how do you know that he's whispering direction to you? Because it sounds like this, slow down. Just take a chill pill, slow down. Or it might be, do it now, go, do it. Or it might be, it's time for you to take that next step. It's time for you to do that next thing. The fourth thing that he speaks to you as the musicians come is that he whispers dreams. He whispers dreams to you. Says this, I believe this with all of my heart, that God will put inside you something you don't have the ability to do. And the reason why he puts something in you that you don't have the ability to do is because if you had the ability to do it, you'd take all the glory for it. There's nothing better than when God does the impossible for you. And in Job, it says this, it says, for God speaks again and again. He speaks in dreams and visions of the night. God has put or is going to put something on the inside of you so that you can be a solution amongst the madness around you. God has created you to be the answer in your family, to be the answer in your workplace, to be the answer in your school, for us to be the answer in the community. The church is the hope of the world and you are the church. It is God's tool. It is God's vehicle. So how do you know that God's speaking to you in dreams? How do you know that he's whispering dreams to you? Because it sounds a little bit like this. Go all in, man. Go for it. You can do this. Things like this impression, I've got to give God my best today. I've got to give God my best. Things like make a difference. Go and make a difference. Things like get involved. Start serving on a team or get involved. 
Get into a connect, get involved. That's God speaking to you and helping you. He's whispering to you. But here's the thing about God's voice is that it's, it's heard best in prepared environments. As we saw in that parable, that in the prepared soil, it produced a hundredfold. Everywhere else, there was a lack of produce. A prepared heart, a heart that says, I'm not going to be deaf anymore. I'm not going to be distracted anymore. I'm not going to be immature anymore. When God speaks and the seed gets into a prepared heart, it produces way beyond our wildest dreams. You see, here's the thing. You can't grow kiwi fruit in Antarctica. It just won't work. It's not the right environment for the kiwi fruit to grow. You can't see God speaking to you and His Word growing in you if your heart is Antarctica. It's the prepared heart where the seed produces the most. And here's the thing that I really, really believe for you and for me, that if we prepare our hearts, if we make room for Him to speak, then He will speak in such a way that the seed that is planting produces a great harvest, not just for now, but for the rest of your life. And not just your life, but your kids' lives and your grandkids' lives and your great-grandkids' lives. Because some of you, you're the first Christian in your family because a seed got spoken to your heart. And now you follow Christ. And there's a great chance that your kids will now follow Christ and that your grandkids will follow Christ because a seed produced something in your heart that had never been able to get in the heart of anybody before. You see, I don't say this to brag, but in my dad's family, seven generations ago, a seed was planted in my great, 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 whatever grandfather to become a pastor of a church. And every generation since then, seven, have had the same seed planted in their hearts. And I'm the seventh generation of pastors on my family's side, but it started seven generations ago with a prepared heart that had a seed planted in it that's produced a hundredfold more than my great-great-great-great-grandfather probably ever dreamed it could do. Why don't we all close our eyes just for a moment?